You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, it is great to see you this morning. John chapter 19 is where we're going to be. So if you've uh, got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, there should be some underneath every three or four seats. So feel free to go ahead and turn to John chapter 19. If you are new with us today, my name is Rodney. I'm a pastor here, and we are so so grateful that you have chosen to come and worship with us and there's one thing that we would love to get you to do if you'll make sure you uh you grab that black card that should be under or on your seat if you'll grab that black card and fill that out during the rest of the service and at the end of the service we'll pass around a little offering basket and if you'll make sure you put that card filled out in that offering basket we'll shoot you some things in the mail this week that will totally make that worth your while so if you'll do that for us that would be wonderful You know, it's interesting to note that for the last 20-some-odd centuries, uh, Christians have gathered on this day to celebrate the resurrection. Now, isn't that amazing just to consider that? For the last 20 centuries, that's happened. I I love what John Stott says. You're speaking of why it is that, that Christians would have gathered for the last 20 centuries to do that. Why is it that we make such a big deal out of this day, specifically the resurrection of Jesus? Why is that? He says it this way. Christianity at its essence is a resurrection religion. This is what it is. It is based on the resurrection. Like if this event did not happen, we have got no Christianity. He goes on to say, if you remove it, the resurrection, Christianity is destroyed. This is part of what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 15. When he says, if the resurrection didn't happen, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry. Because Christianity just collapsed in on itself. But if it did happen, if it did, it changes everything. I love how one pastor put it. He said, if the resurrection didn't happen, then nothing really matters. But if the resurrection did happen, then nothing else really matters. Like, this is how important the resurrection is. And so I know that on a day like this, there are going to be some in the room who you're here because your grandma twisted your arm. And so I, I know that. And so I know that we've got a lot of skeptics in the room today and a lot of those who are investigating the claims of Jesus. And I just want to give you this just brief encouragement, if that's you, to make sure you start at the center. Not at the peripheral, not at the edges, not not at some nuanced theological point, not at where did Cain get his wife, but at the center, right? At the center, at did Jesus really die? Like we're talking three days, no pulse, buried in a tomb, sort of dead. Did he really die and on the third day rise from the dead? Did that really happen? And if you're skeptical, if you're the person that's just investigating this morning, now I think if you'll, if you'll center on that question, you might find that that answer might do for you what it's done for a lot of people in this room, changed everything for them, right? Okay, so John chapter 19, uh, this is where we're going today. John chapter 19. To get us there, let me just start with one word. It's one of my favorite words in the English language. I love this word. It's simple, six letters, My favorite word goes like this, gospel. I love that word. It's what the Bible from from Genesis to Revelation, what the whole Bible is about. It's about the gospel. The, The Bible is about pointing us to the good news of the gospel. So from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is trying to walk us into and show us the good news that God has done something about our sin. That God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to live a perfect life in place of our very imperfect life. 
to die on the cross for our sin and on the third day to be raised from the dead so that all those who put their faith in Jesus can be reconciled to God forever. The Bible is about showing us that. But, but here is the problem. Let me illustrate it with an old game. Y'all remember the telephone game? You remember playing that game back in the day? Uh, where, where maybe you had a teacher who told the first person in line um, a, a message. And, and then they turned around and told the next person. And then that person whispered it in the ear of the next person who whispered it in the ear of the next person. And by the time that you finish that whole thing, like the, the first message of the sky is blue, somehow ended up saying the grass is pink. Like how does that happen? And I think it's such an apt metaphor for what has happened to the good news of the gospel. Somewhere along the way, it got changed. It got distorted for us. So that the good news of the gospel became the bad news of religion. Like this is what's happened for most of us. When we think gospel, we aren't thinking the wonderful news of all that Jesus has done for us. We are thinking of religion. And let me just help walk you into some of the distinctions between gospel and religion. The essence of religion goes like this. That God welcomes us, God receives us, approves of us, loves us based on what we do for God. That's religion. Like 12 years of doing ministry in the Bible Belt. I, like trying to appropriate the gospel and teach the Bible to this crowd, the DFW area, Bible Belt. DFW area is the buckle of the Bible Belt, right? So to, to that crowd, it, it just become so obvious that somewhere along the way, the good news of the gospel got changed to that, that, that God relates to us, welcomes us, receives us, loves us based on what we do for God. The essence of Christianity is that God welcomes us, receives us, approves of us, loves us, not based on what we do for God, but based on what Jesus has done for us. Now that separates Christianity from every other religion. It separates it from everything else. Every other religion, their way of getting to God is, you do your very best and hope that it's going to be enough. Where Christianity is, this is how you get to God. Jesus has done his very best, and you now know that God will welcome you. Like this is Christianity. This is gospel. Let me just give it in some phrases. These will be on the screen for you. All other religions say this. If you are bad and fail to follow the rules, God will punish you. Christianity says this. You were bad and broke all the rules, but Jesus was perfect and took your punishment for you. Religion says this, if you want a relationship with God, you have to fulfill all the qualifications. Christianity says this, you can have a relationship with God because Jesus perfectly fulfilled every single qualification for you. Religion says this, if you want to please God, this is what you have to do. Clean yourself up. Go, go perform better and do better. Christianity says God is pleased with you because of what Jesus has already done for you. Religion says if you follow all the rules, you might be able to earn your way back to God. Christianity says the way back to God has already been earned for you in Jesus. Religion says I've been good, so I'm entitled to God's blessing. Christianity says Jesus has been good and secured for us, for me, blessing upon blessing. 
Religion says, I obey, so I am accepted. Christianity says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. This is the gospel. And somehow that good news has been distorted. That the sham of what we've got going today is that somehow that good news has been turned into the horrible news of religion. And so John 19, I I don't know of a better place to help just see the difference between gospel and religion than John 19. So so here's the background, just to kind of catch us up to the chapter. Jesus has been betrayed by his closest people. So Judas has betrayed him. He has now been arrested by the religious leaders. They've set up their trial. They brought in their false witnesses, and they have accused him and convicted him of blasphemy. That they turned him over to Pilate. Pilate gave him to Herod. Herod gave them back to Pilate. And then Pilate, kind of caving under popular opinion and their pressure, sentenced Jesus to death. Then you get to verse 28 of John 19, and Jesus is just moments away from taking his last breath. And this is where you pick it up. In John 19, verse 28, it says this. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now, and this is going to be a key word for us, finished. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. He goes on, verse 29, a jar of sour wine stood there. So they, they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it in his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said one word in Greek, to telestai. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I love what the, uh, the, the preacher of a couple of centuries ago, Charles Spurgeon, said about this one Greek word, to telestai. Three words in the English. It is finished. He said this. You need all the other words that have ever been spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word, to telestai. It is finished. It is a power-packed word. It's a word that is pregnant with meaning. When Jesus says to Telestai, it is finished, he is saying a lot. Like we're not talking one sermon. We're talking about a whole series of sermons here. He is saying a lot. He is saying that everything you need for your salvation, finished to Telestai. Everything you need for your redemption to telestai, it is finished. Everything you need for adoption to be brought into the family of God is finished. Everything you need for your reconciliation to be made right with God, it is finished. Hell, finished. Satan, finished. The the threat of all of that is gone. The threat of death, finished. He is saying a lot in that statement. And, And so here's what I want to spend the morning doing. I want to spend the morning giving you just a couple of clarifying comments to just try to to cut through the fog of all that this statement means, to try to get right to the center of what what does he mean when he says it is finished? Let, Let me give you three things. Here's the first one. It is finished. Three clarifying statements. Number one, when Jesus says to Telestai, it is finished, here's the first thing he means. He means that our debt has been fully paid. That our debt has been fully paid. Now, when you're thinking about the gospel, the good news of the gospel, it comes in two parts. It comes in first the bad news and secondly the good news. So so it's a two-part thing here. So so if you think of it in terms of the the bad news, that's what makes the good news such good news. 
So, so we've got some bad news we need to address really quickly here. The bad news of the gospel goes like this, that we have a debt. That we have a debt. Like right now, we have a debt. It was interesting, a couple of days ago, I uh, checked out the current debt of the United States of America. Now that's a depressing thought, isn't it? So, so uh, current debt um, registers at somewhere in the neighborhood of 167 trillion dollars. Now, I don't even know what trillion looks like, what that means. I don't even have a framework to think about trillion in. I just know that is a lot of cash. 16.7 trillion dollars. It's so much cash that as I just sat there and pushed the refresh button, refresh, like every second, refresh, refresh, like several hundred thousand dollars was added every time I pushed the reset button. I mean, this is the depressing nature of our debt. It went on to say that every day, $3.86 billion every day, not every month, not every year, every day $3.86 billion is added to that debt. Now now that is serious debt. Now let's just carry this over and personalize that. I, I want you to pretend and imagine you waking up tomorrow and you realizing that debt has been transferred to you. Like a business deal just went bad. We're talking really, really, really bad, right? $16.7 trillion is hanging over your head. Like $16.7 trillion. And and there's this moment where you realize that like, I, I make a pretty decent living, but if I paid every cent of my check onto that debt, like everything that I make, if I credit it to that, to that debt, I'll never be able to pay it. Like my entire paycheck won't cover the interest of that debt. Like so there's this moment that you realize that that debt, whatever $16.7 trillion means, it definitely means this, I can't pay it. Now, now let's just take the metaphor over. Um, I think it would be an apt way to describe our spiritual condition before God. That the Bible is going to be really clear in saying that we have a spiritual debt toward God. That, that we are in debt. And, and we're talking the sort of debt of the 16.7 trillion variety. Like, like the sort of debt that when you look at, it should arouse in you this, this thought of, I can't pay that. And you say, now, now how, how are we in that debt? And here's the, the reality for most of us in the room. We live really unaware of that debt. We live unaware of the fact that we are in deep and disastrous, deadly debt toward God. How, how do we get that debt? Well, God created us. And God created us to love him, to obey him, and to honor him. In thought, word, and deed. To to love, obey, and honor him in thought, word, and deed. And every time we don't honor God, our creator, in thought, word, and deed, every time we fail to do that, we are accruing debt. Every time we sin against God, every time we we are accruing debt. So so now think about this. when When I think about that statement, if that statement is true, then when I think about me I know this, I've got a $16.7 trillion debt. I mean, if we're keeping record of all of my sin, then I might make $16.7 trillion look small. Now think about that. When you think about your life every time 
You have not loved, honored, and obeyed God in thought, word, and deed. You have accrued debt against God. Can you just stop and imagine what sort of debt you're in toward God? Just stop and imagine that. See, see, we're talking about every time that you sin, it's accruing debt. Now let's think about what sin is. Sin is, maybe you could think of it this way first. Sin is thinking, doing, saying, or believing in a way that we should not. So, so it's doing something that we shouldn't do. That, that's one way that we could think about sin. So it's, it's you lying, it's you stealing, it's you being sexually immoral, it's you digesting pornography, it's you lying, it's you worrying, it's you being anxious, it's you doing all of those things that God says, don't do those. That every time we do one of those things, we are accruing debt toward God. But, but it's not just breaking God's law. It's not, just, it's not just doing what we shouldn't. It's not doing what we should. So, so it's God saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's us not proactively pursuing loving our spouse, loving our friends, loving our neighbors, showing kindness, giving to the one in need. So it's not only doing what we shouldn't, it's not doing what we should. And every time we do any of that, God is saying this, you are accruing a debt against me. Now if you could just think about this, if, if every time you sinned, you threw a rock onto the pile of your debt. How large would that pile be? Just think about that. I'm working on Mount Everest. I don't know about you. My, my pile is high. That every time in thought, word, deed, or belief, you belittle God. You, you dishonor God. You don't obey God. You are accruing debt. How big is that debt? Now, again, I don't know how big $16.7 trillion is. I have no idea what that looks like. I just know that's a lot of zeros. I just know that I can't pay that, that the paycheck of my good deeds can't cover that. That's all I know about that. And this is what the Bible wants us to see, that the paycheck of your good deeds, your morality, you trying to be a pretty good person, it cannot cover that debt. And let's just be straight here. The Bible is, is really clear in how serious God is about that debt. In Romans 6.23, the Bible is going to make it clear that this is how serious God is, that he pronounces the death sentence over our debt. And he says, listen, your good deeds could never pay for it. Here's the only thing that could pay for it, the wages of your sin, the penalty of your sin. The only way you're going to pay for your debt, this is the only way, Romans 6.23, is for your death. That's it. And when the Bible's talking about death in Romans 6.23, it's not just talking about a physical death. That's part of it, that because of our sin, we will one day all physically die. That's, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. It's not the worst of it. The worst of what Romans 6.23 is talking about is not your physical death, but your spiritual death. This is the worst part. That to pay for your spiritual debt toward God, God has created a place called hell where spiritual debtors go. People like me who have ripped God off with our sinful lives. People like you who have ripped God off with your sinful life. God has created that place for spiritual debtors to go to pay for their debt. This is how serious God is about the debt. That because God is good and because God is just, he can't just sweep that sin under the rug. He can't just act like that doesn't exist. That he demands payment for that sin. He demands payment for that debt that we have accrued against him. Now, I can just picture a person saying this right now. 
You just said that you love the word gospel, that it is good news, but I haven't heard any good news yet. There has been no good news pronounced yet. But here is the reality of the gospel. The gospel sobers us before it satisfies us. It acquaints us to our condition before God before it solves our condition before God. It sobers us. We have a spiritual debt toward God. We have a $16.7 trillion debt toward God. It sobers us, but then it satisfies us. And here is the great news of the gospel. Not just that we have a debt, but that Jesus has paid the debt in full. That is the great news of the gospel, that God has taken our $16.7 trillion debt and he's done something about it, namely, he has taken that debt and he has put it onto Jesus, our Redeemer, who has paid that debt. This is the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to see where that great news is announced, here would be one place, Colossians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen for you. You can flip there if you like, but it'll be on the screen. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. Verse 13, and you, who, now listen to how it describes you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, dead, Are we seeing that? You're not just walking with a limp. You are spiritually lifeless. You're not just a bad person. You're a dead, a spiritually dead person. Unresponsive to God. This is how we're all born. This is us accruing the debt. This is us creating the $16.7 trillion debt toward God. That we are dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. But here comes the great news of the gospel. Here comes grace. And you, you were dead, but and you, God made alive together with him. Now that's good news. That the God made you alive together with him. And listen to how he's done that. How does he make you alive? This is how he makes you alive. Having, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So you know this, the 16 trillion, he's forgiven that. Now, how does he forgive that? How how does he do that? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt, $16.7 trillion, canceled, done away with. But how does he do that? How does he cancel the debt? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. How does he cancel that debt? Here's how he cancels it. This he set aside. How does, he, how does he set it aside? By nailing it to the cross. That's how he canceled the debt. You, you know that $16.7 trillion debt? That insurmountable debt. That, that debt that you could never pay off. That debt that the paycheck of your good deeds cannot cover the interest of. That, that debt that is keeping you away from God. Keeping you from the presence of God. That debt that is going to send us to hell. That debt, God has said this, it has all been transferred to Jesus. That debt has been nailed to the cross, paid, to telestai. That that word to telestai, it is finished, was oftentimes used in the marketplace in the first century world. So if you can imagine me coming up to you and me buying a pair of shoes from you, but I only had money to to pay for half of it. 
So, so I paid for half the pair of shoes, but now I still owe you for the other half. And so a week later, I come back and I give you the other half of what I owe you. And in the moment that I give you the other half, here's what you would say to me. To Telestai, it is finished. Accounts are settled. It's paid in full. And what Jesus is saying in John 19 is to Telestai, it is finished. It's paid in full. That the accounts have been settled. All of your debt has been erased. It's gone. It's eradicated. It no longer exists between you and God. And can I just tell you something? That is something that you can celebrate. Like, like this morning, you can celebrate that, that Jesus has paid it in full. This is why we can sing songs like, Oh, the bliss of the glorious thought. My, my sin, not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's the reason we can sing things like, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That, that is the great news of the gospel, that we were in debt toward God, but Jesus, our Redeemer, says it is finished, paid in full. And can I just tell you what religion says? Religion says, get to work. Jesus says, it is finished. Man, how about we live in that today, huh? So the first thing that, that to tell us that it is finished means is that our debt has been fully paid. Here's the second thing. And, and by the way, it gets better. It gets better. <clears throat> Number two. To tell us die, it is finished means that we have received, that we have, like right now, Jesus' perfect record of righteousness. That, that this is what we have in Jesus right now because he says it is finished. That, that we have Jesus' perfect record of righteousness. So, so maybe if we're going to stick with the money metaphor, we could say this, that not only on the cross is our, is our debt forgiven, is the record of our debt canceled, not only is it wiped away, but because of the cross, God now comes to us in Jesus and gives us an extra $16.7 trillion, puts that into our pocket to enjoy. Now, let me try to explain that, and, and I'll use uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 to do that. It'll be on the screen for you. If you want to see this just played out in vivid colors, 2 Corinthians 5 is the place for it. That, that we now have, because of the work of Jesus for us, Jesus' perfect standard of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It'll be on the screen. For our sake... For your sake, spiritual debtors, for, for our sake, enemies with God, for our sake, wanting nothing to do with God, dead in our sin, unresponsive to God, for our sake, he, talking about God, God made him, talking about Jesus, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, to be sin, who knew no sin. Now allow that to just settle over your soul and to put a song in your heart. That, that for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. To be sin. 
although he knew no sin, he's fully paid for that sin. But, but here comes the, the, the even bigger and better part. So that in Jesus, for, for those who are in Christ, those who have put their faith in Jesus, for those who are in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Wow. That, that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me maybe explain it this way. If you could picture up, up here on the stage, two boards. Board over here. You've got a whiteboard, and this is you. Board over here, this is whiteboard, that is Jesus. And let's just take your board for a second. On, on your board, we just start filling in your life, and in particular, your sinfulness. And we just start listing your sinfulness up on the board. And, and, and we run out of space really quickly, don't we? We start talking about anger and jealousy and greed and immorality and impatience. I mean, the, the list gets long in a hurry. So, so we've got our board and it's filled with all of our sinfulness over here. And then we take Jesus's board and we fill that with all of the attributes of Jesus. Like he was perfect. He perfectly fulfilled all of God's commands. Like every time that temptation presented itself, he said no. So, so this board is filled with patience, love, purity, perfection, holiness, the righteousness of God. Now, now here's what 2 Corinthians 5 is telling us. Here's the first thing, first part of the verse, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. It means that God took all of our sin over on this board, that God got it all in his arms and he, and he moved it from our board and he put it over to Jesus's board. That's, that's part one. That, that all of our sin was transferred to Jesus's board. And then here's the second part. That, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so now God takes all of Jesus's board. Perfection, holiness, righteousness. He takes all of that board and he takes everything on it and he moves it over to our board. So that now when God looks at us, he sees a perfect Jesus in us. That, that is the good news of the gospel. That, that now we have the righteousness of God. That this is what God has done for us in Jesus. See, see, we would say it this way, that God didn't just pardon you on the cross. He perfected you on the cross. See, see what we're saying? That, that God didn't just excuse your sin on the cross, but he infused the perfect righteousness of Jesus into you. That, that on the cross, God treated Jesus like he was you. And because of the cross, God now treats you like you're Jesus. See, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And man, I just want to make this clear to everyone in the room, like right now, if you're in Christ, here's what that means for you, that you will never be more righteous, more approved, more presentable to God, more loved by God, more welcomed by God than you are right now. Like not a future version of you that's got some of these sins kind of dealt with, not a perfected you know, version of you that no longer struggles with that, that you will never be more righteous before God than you are right now. Now, now if you're in the room and, and you're skeptical, you're investigating, you're, you're that person this morning, I, I just want to encourage you with this, 
that is available to you. Your spiritual debt wiped away, fully paid in Jesus. God granting you because of Jesus, his perfect standard of righteousness. That, that is available to you today. That, that, that's available. You know, I, I've done this, been a part of this. I uh, don't want to knock this, but I, I've seen this done several times. Have, have you ever seen that moment where a pastor might, might um, get, get a cross like this, put it up on a stage, and, and then he might give you a piece of paper. And, and he might say something like this to you. Now, I want you to write your specific sin down on that piece of paper. I want you to write that down, like where sin is beating and bruising you. I want you to write that down. I want you to make sure that's on that piece of paper. And you look down, and it's like an ink pen exploded on your piece of paper, right? It's like all of this stuff. And he says something like this to you. Now, I want you to come up, and we're going to have a way here for you to nail that piece of paper with your sin on it. We're going to have a way of nailing that to the cross. Jesus paying for it. But, but I, I think it's actually, and I don't want to knock that because I, I've, I've done that, been a part of that, been around that. Don't, don't want to knock it. I think it's actually missing some of the power of the gospel in, in that imagery. So I want you just to play along with me here. Imagine with me for a second that, that you have the piece of paper right here in your hand. And that, that you have just been given the task of writing your, your sin, the things that like present day right now, like last night you just fell off the bandwagon, like your sin right now that you are struggling through for, for you to write those sins on that piece of paper. For, for you to write all of your past sin, everything that you have done on, on that piece of paper, ink pen exploded all over it. For all of your future sin, for you to write it all down on that piece of paper. And then I want you just to imagine me asking you to, to come up on stage this morning and, and for you to take that, that piece of paper and for you to stick that piece of paper to the cross. And, and all of a sudden, you get up here, and, and you've got your piece of paper with all your sin on it. All, all, everything, your life, your sin, your struggles, your areas of unbelief, all of that is here. It's on, it's on the piece of paper. You have written it down on the paper, your little paper, and you are bringing that up to put it, to put it on the cross, like signifying nailing it to, to the cross. You're, you're about to do that, and all of a sudden, that the most powerful moment happens that you've ever had in your life where you realize that that piece of paper with all of your sin on it that you were about to, to nail to the cross, to stick onto the cross, that that piece of paper was already there. Like it, it was already there. Like your piece of paper, you just brought that up, but, but your piece of paper with all of the junk on it with all of your brokenness and all of your sin, that you're, you're, you're about to take it to the cross and you realize that, that your blue little note is already there. And you say, well, how did that get there? I mean, how, how is it? I just wrote it. How is it already there? And you realize it's because Christ already took it there. I, you, you realize in that moment that, that Jesus has written all of your iniquities and he's nailed it already to the cross that God has He's already put it there. That, that God in his sovereignty and wisdom, that, that he, he knew every way that you would fail him in the past, every little way that you would rebel against him. He knew all of that, all of your darkness, all of your brokenness, and he already took that there. He knew all of your present sin, like the one that you struggled with last night. And, and he already took that there. It's already knelt in all of your future sin. See, everything that you will do, 
And God in his sovereignty has already applied it. See, this is what it means in Colossians 2 when it says that your sin, all of it, has been nailed to the cross, past, present, future. When you put your faith in Jesus, you just got the righteousness of God. All of your sin nailed to the cross. So you have this moment where your breath was just taken away when you realize your note was already there. That that Jesus has already taken it all, bore it all, wore it all, became it all for, for all, for like every person, every planet. He's taken it all and he's paid it all. To tell us die, it is, it is finished. And, and then something else happens. You, you took your, your little note that you had, bringing it up to the cross that you were about to put on there, and you realized your note was already there. And you look back down to the note that you had just written. All of your sin, past, present, and future, that you had just written on there. And you look back, I mean, you just, you just wrote it like a minute ago. And you just found that your note was already on the cross. And then you look back down and to your shocking amazement, none of it's there anymore. And, and you look down and you look down at your little note and, and all of your sin has been erased. And you see just one word left on it. One, one word. The, the only word you see on your paper is perfect. And you say, how could that be? And then in that moment, you hear the whisper of the Spirit of God say, this is how that can be. All of your sin was nailed to the cross. All of your sin and all of Jesus' perfect righteousness was given to you. Not just pardoned, but perfected. So that now for the rest of your life, the Spirit of God's whispering, for the rest of your life, I see you as a perfect Jesus. That's how. That's how. See, this is the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me land the plane with this. Number three, what does Jesus mean when he says to Telestai that it is finished? Here's the last thing. Number three, he means that our accuser has been silenced. That Satan has been silenced. That Satan has been done away with. There's an interesting passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. P- Peter tells us this. He says, be sober-minded. He says, be watchful. You need to be wide awake and aware here. Be, be sober-minded and watchful, 1 Peter 5, 8. And, and here's why. Because your adversary, your, your adversary, the devil, your adversary, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now that word adversary is an interesting word. It carries the idea of a prosecuting attorney. And if you want to know what Satan is in the life of believers, here it is. A prosecuting attorney. That's what he is. So if you can picture yourself in the courtroom, God is the judge. 
you are on the stand and everyone knows you are guilty of the crimes you have been charged for. You have a debt against God. You are guilty before God. And Jesus comes busting through the courtroom and, and God says, because of Jesus, you are pardoned. And not just pardoned, because of Jesus, you are perfected. We walk out of the courtroom. So that's the moment of conversion. That's the moment of a person putting their faith in Jesus. That's what happens. But, but here is Satan's main game, the prosecuting attorney's main game in the lives of believers. We've walked out of the courtroom and Satan grabs us by the hand. The prosecuting attorney grabs us by the hand and jerks us back into the courtroom, puts us back on the stand and starts heaping accusation, condemnation back over us. You did not make the grade. You do not measure up. You have a debt before God. He starts heaping these accusations, condemnations all over us. You know, it's interesting. I, I've read this story about Martin Luther, the great reformer. In the 1500s, as the, Pro, you know, the Protestant Reformation is beginning, he was having these unbelievable bouts with Satan. And he tells this one story of uh, waking up in the middle of the night in this dream where he and Satan are like toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And Satan is just heaping accusation and condemnation all over him. And it's just him, I mean, berating and thrashing him. So, so Satan is saying to him, you don't measure up. You do not make the grade. You are still in debt. Look at yourself. You're wretched. You're sinful. You're all of those things. And Luther says, are you finished? And he says, no, I'm not finished. Look at yourself. You're greedy. You're impure. You're prideful. You're arrogant. You're godless. You're, you're prayerless. You're spiritless. You're worthless. And Luther looks back and shouts, yes, guilty of everything you've charged me of. But across it all, write these words. It is finished. The blood of Jesus, right? The, the good news of the gospel is that all of Satan's accusations, all of his condemnations are finished. That they are finished. You're impure, paid, covered. It is finished. Sexual immorality, covered. Adultery, covered. Theft, covered. Lying, covered. Pornography, covered. It's all covered. That's what Jesus means when he says and announces it is finished. Amen. Let's Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.